As I said, um, I think we've said this many times here in the church, is that, you know, when you look at God's word, how important God's word is and how valuable God's word is and how, you know, we, we believe that God's, the Bible is God's, uh, the word of God, and it's, um, it's everything that we need for life and, and practice. And the thing about God's word is, is that it's not um, a book, the Bible is not primarily a book about good advice, it's about good news. It's about good news that we receive, that we can share. Now, there is good advice in the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, look at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is, is full of good advice, that it's really useful. And we look at the book we've been in lately, the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written by the same person who wrote the book of Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes contains a lot of phrases and sayings and Proverbs and one-liners that would make good tweets because they got some good advice in there as well. But it's not, like I said, overall, it's not primarily a book of good advice. And when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, there's some recurring themes that take place in this book. First of all, he says a lot about how life is under the sun. How life, how do we live life here on this earth, in this planet that we live in? And then one, another thing that he's always hitting on is vanity, vanity. He says life is vanity, which is a word that kind of means like mist or smoke or breath or air or vapor or it, so it's kind of like has all these nuanced meanings to the word vanity whenever you see it in the book of Ecclesiastes that it can also mean changing or meaninglessness or um, ethereal you know something that's hard to put wrap your hands around hard to grasp a hold of that it's it's here today and gone tomorrow it's like a mist that appears like James says, your life is like a mist that appears and is gone in the morning. That's kind of all of the nuances wrapped up in the word vanity. That's a theme in the book that the author mentions over and over and over again. And he goes back to like, this is how life is. This is how life is under the sun. And Ecclesiastes can be very blunt sometimes. It can be difficult to understand. And I kind of like that in some ways because it's kind of like real life. You know, real life can be blunt and difficult to understand. And there's not always clear-cut answers to problems that we have in life. Sometimes that can lead to frustrations in life. Do you ever get frustrated? I'm sure, right? Right? Sure we do. How many people can get through an entire day without some sort of frustration? How many people can get through an entire morning without some kind of frustration, right? Why do we get frustrated in life? Maybe when things don't turn out the way that we hoped they had turned out, it leads to frustrations. Like, have you ever been working on a project at work or at school that seemed like it was an easy assignment? Then at every turn, you run into more and more problems, and you think, this wasn't supposed to be this hard. Or whenever you're late for a meeting, and you run into a construction or an accident or some other slowdown on the road, which caused you to be late, and that can lead to frustrations. You, you say, you know, why is there so much traffic? Not realizing that you are part of the problem, right? You are the traffic. <laughs> so you're part of the, people behind you are saying, why is there so much traffic here? At least the frustration. Basically, when anything doesn't go our way, or, we, or when we end up in situations that we can't control, or we find ourselves at the receiving end of a situation that doesn't make sense, where we're asking why or why is it this way? Like all those things can lead to frustrations. And I believe that's what the theme of this chapter is all about. So the big idea of today's message is that this life can bring many frustrations from people and situations that you can't control and that don't make much sense. 
But biblical wisdom teaches that we can still enjoy God's good gifts and shine his light. So we're in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. I encourage you to open the Bible to chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. And I'm trying to do one chapter a week to bring us up in the Advent. Just so you know, Christmas is right around the corner. I know, it's like 53 days away now, I think. It's coming up so quickly. And I know that the chapter divisions in the Bible were not in the original manuscripts, but some editor at some time thought, well, this makes sense to go with this, and this makes sense to go with this. Now, there are some versions of the Bible, if you look at chapter 8, verse 1, that they put it at the beginning, uh, at the end of chapter 7, rather, because it looks like it can go on either way. It's kind of like one of those hinge verses that kind of goes with the flow and makes it seem like it goes from one thing into another. But... Um, one of the things, too, about Ecclesiastes is when you look at it, it's like, why does he put some things in some places and some things in other places? Like, maybe chapter 8 doesn't really make a lot of sense altogether. But it kind of does, because it begins with a question and a statement that magnifies the value of wisdom. And then it ends in verse 17 with an acknowledgement of wisdom's limitations. So no matter what, our wisdom is limited compared with God's wisdom. So the key to interpreting this chapter is to see how those middle parts go together, how, they, how this wisdom sandwich, how it fits together here. And the first part, the first chapter uh, verses 2 to 9, deals with authorities above us, specifically governing authorities. And the second part talks about the confusion that happens with regards to death and the mysteries of God's justice. But of these things, these confusing and frustrating statements, he says in verse 10, both of these things, look in verse 10, he says, this also is vanity. So the first part was vanity, and then the second part is also vanity. It can also be confusing or perplexing or frustrating. The first situation is when you are stuck in a situation that you can't control. And the second one is when you realize that things don't really make sense. And the answer to both of those problems is the same. Is that, and that is to enjoy God, enjoy God's good gifts that he gives to us. But let's start at verse 1. Some people think, like I said, it fits better with verse, chapter 7. But any, at any rate, it serves as a hinge to, to chapter 8. And it's really important. The opening question in verse 8 says this. Who is like the wise? Who is like the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? Now, he is not saying that no one is wise, but what is he saying is that is rare to find. In our community group this week, somebody actually mentioned that. They were talking about who's the wise person. Like, you should take advice from a wise person. And somebody was like, well, if you can find one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part, right? And it's important, though, to seek out wisdom. Over and over again in the Bible, it says to search for wisdom, to look for wisdom, to seek it out in your life. And those who succeed in finding it are transformed. It's almost as if, like, you know, God changes our heart, and a lot of times he changes our disposition, our face, our countenance, whenever he changes our heart. Have you ever seen that in the life of somebody? Maybe in your own life as well. Maybe you haven't seen a friend in a long time, and at one time in your life you weren't, weren't a believer, and then you see them now that you're a Christian, and they're like, something's different about you, you know? You just, like... There's something about you that's different. Something is changed. Or you know somebody that wasn't a Christian, and then they, they came to that 
that wisdom that Jesus Christ really is Lord and Savior, and they repent of their sins and they trust in Jesus, and it seems like their whole life has changed. Not just their spiritual life has changed, but their whole life has changed. And I'm not saying as Christians we need to put on fake smiles all the time, but I'm just saying, like, sometimes you can't help that. You know when, that how much you're loved, how much God has shown his grace to you, and then you can't help but, but to see it on your face, right? So look at the, the second part of verse 1. It says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. The hardness of his face is a picture of somebody with a cruel heart. But when they, they discover true wisdom... When they receive that true knowledge of who they are and, and how they are loved and that Jesus has changed their life, it says a man's wisdom makes his face shine. One of my favorite songs we sing here is Psalms 34. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. It's like Moses, he would meet with the Lord, Yahweh, face to face and then he would go out into the camp and people would be blinded. They'd be like, cover your face, it's so bright. He couldn't help it. He had been with the Lord and his face shone. Or whenever Jesus' apostles, after, you know, what had changed about them, they said, we, it was evident that these people had been with Jesus because their lives, their face shone. After telling us what wisdom looks like, the preacher goes on and shows us what wisdom does in dealing with people in absolute authority. So in verse 2, he says this, I say... Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? So this first part here, it, it, it talks about, and I, we wonder, was, was Solomon writing this just like later on in life, saying this is just how kings are? So you need to be aware, like, this is how you should act before a king? Because here, I don't, know, I don't think any of us have ever lived under a king. I know I've never ha lived under a king. You know, we have, but back in the Old Testament times, that's exactly how everything operated. So this talks about the ultimate power of a king versus the powerlessness of a commoner. And we've never lived under a king. I've, I've never worked directly under a king. I'm sure none of us have ever worked directly under a king or a queen. But we all live and operate under an authority. And that authority doesn't, sometimes it follows God's wisdom, but sometimes it does. The authority above us does not follow God's authority and God's wisdom. So what are you going to do when you recognize that I have more than one authority above me? It's a difficult question that every one of us has to come face to face with in our life. Like how do we live our lives as Christians? What First Peter says we are aliens and strangers so how do we live our life now under the authority that we have, knowing that God is our ultimate authority? What kind of advice is he saying here? Well, first of all, our duty should be to obedience. The preacher says to keep the king's command. A wise servant will do what he is told to do. So the general principle is, is as best as you can, you need to obey the authority that God puts over you. Obey the authority that's in place. I mean, that authority isn't there by chance. We know that God is the one who sets up kings and disposes kings. It's the heart of the king that's like water in the hand of God. And so recognize, first of all, he says, first step is to, to be obedient. It's kind of like Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul told every person to be subject to the governing authorities. 
So every Christian is called to be a law-abiding citizen as best as we can to obey the authorities that God puts in place. And there are, are several reasons. The first thing is, it's theological here. He says, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him or because of the oath of God. And so this could be in reference to the fact that the, the Israelite people, they wanted a king. They said, give us a king like all the other nations. And God had said, I'm your king. You don't need an actual king. And they said, no, set up a king. And so God says, okay, will you obey the king? And the people said, we will do what you say. You know, we will obey the king as if it's your authority on earth. So they made that oath to God. But also, like I said, just recognize that God puts up authorities over us. There is no authority except from God, Romans 13 says. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So recognize that that's the first step. Well, people often wonder, does that authority have any limits? Does that authority have any limits? How far should we go in obeying the authority that's above us? And I think of the book of Daniel. I've been reading the book of Daniel. And you think of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have been taken out of their homeland and taken into captivity in Babylon. And then the king had set up this golden statue. And they were serving the king. They were Hebrew um, Israelite boys who were very wise and they were doing everything that they were supposed to be doing yet when it came to a certain point in their life they said we can't cross this line this is a line that we cannot cross in our obedience to a foreign authority and so i know that each one of us has times in our own life where we have we come to that and we ask ourselves that question how far is too far in our obedience to this authority i know god set this up but also there's got to be a line there there has to be a line. And the, and the line is, for them and for us, is like whenever the authority tells you to go against, do something and forces you to go against something that's a clear command in Scripture. That's a clear command in Scripture. We see that with the disciples after Jesus uh, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and sent his disciples out on the mission to preach the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. And then Peter and the, the, the apostles, they were completely transformed. They went from, you know, a, a group of men who were scared and hiding to men who were standing on the courthouse steps preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they, they were arrested and said, you can't speak anymore. You can't do this. And they wanted to be obedient to the authorities. They had always been obedient to the authorities. They had always, remember, like they said, do we pay our taxes? And Jesus said, yeah, pay your taxes. So like there was always things that they were doing in obedience to the Roman authorities. But whenever the Roman authorities said, you cannot preach anymore. You cannot speak about Jesus being Lord. There is one Lord and his name is Caesar. Caesar is Lord, not Jesus. Well, we see in um, the book of Acts, they said, we must obey um, we must obey God rather than men. That was their, their line in the sand. They said, we will, not we will continue to obey God rather than man, and we will continue to preach the good news. So when it comes to conflict between God and man, we must obey the higher authority. So there's some advice here. He does. He says, be not hasty in verse 3, because he goes on to give some practical advice here. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. So first, the preacher warns against, against quitting too quickly. In, in absolute monarchies of antiquity, if, in the, if the king said something, it went, right? 
In fact, think of uh, Esther or think of Nehemiah. They both, had, they both were close to the king. Esther was the, hus- the wife, right? And Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. So they both had relationships that were like, you would think if from, the, from our perspective, they'd be like, oh, they're like neck and neck. Like they're, they're an advisor. They're the trusted advisor. They're pro- someone who's in the presence of the king a lot. They, they had a good reputation. But yet in scripture, we see that both of these people just having a question where the king didn't say, do you have any questions? Just coming forward and saying, hey, I have a question. They could have lost their heads, right? That could have been the end of their life. Think about that. Just being so bold to come forward and say, I have a question. They had to pray that God would grant them favor. Before even going to ask the question, they prayed, God, would you give me favor in me approaching this person of authority to just say, would you mind if I had a question? And hopefully you don't get upset about the question that I need to ask you. And in God's sovereignty, he granted grace to both of them to be able to come forward. Well, today we don't have to worry about such penalties at all. You know, and in fact, thinking about your own work situation, if something happens, right, you can just quit, you know. We can just, oh, I'll walk away from my job, you know. I know there's an authority there. I have a boss and a boss is, my boss has a boss and there's a structure there. But you know what? Nobody's got a gun in my head. I could walk away at any time. That's how life is in the world that we live in today. But he says, you know, don't be so quick to walk away. Don't be so quick to, to just leave. But instead, recognize, you know, you, you might, it might be difficult, but you know what? You're going to have the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. So let's say, oh, yeah, I want to quit. I want to walk away quickly. You might have the same problem the next place you go to. So that's some good advice that he gives to here. And second, at the same time, we must refuse to take your stand in an evil cause, it says in verse 3, in such a way that one bears a degree of responsibility for the wickedness. So in other words, we're not called just to be a yes man and just to go along every single time, every single situation. Even though in this situation the king had ultimate authority, we need to have the courage, it says in verse 4, to ask, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't be so afraid to, to put a question out there. And we know that this is difficult. Look at verse 5 and 6 there. It says that a man's trouble lies heavy on him. So what we're talking about here is not easy. These situations are not going to be easy that we face. And I think more and more in our society, in the world that we live, Christians are going to come up against where what they find themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, where there's not going to be any easy answers. There's not going to be any simple solutions to the problems that are on the horizon. You know, I can't just stand up here and say a blanket statement, this is what you ought to do. You know what I mean? Because situations are, it's a heavy thing, he says. You know, there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of what you need to do, what Nehemiah and what Esther did. There's a lot of praying that you need to be doing. There's a lot of searching with the Lord, searching scriptures, trying to find somebody that has some wise advice in your life where you can ask, okay, what is this? What should I do here? You know, I listened to a podcast where People write in questions, and then a Christian leader answers those questions. And I heard one even this week. Somebody said, like, what do I do? I'm in a a work situation, and they want to teach stuff to kids that I disagree with. So, and I know the kids' parents can opt out, but what do I do as an educator? 
Like, where, what do I do? And I think the, the good advice is, well, first of all, you don't need to be the one instituting. If you think what's happening in your work situation is evil, first of all, you don't have to be the one that's instituting the unbiblical teaching, for, for one thing. Don't be the one that brings in the sinful behaviors into your workplace. Don't be the one who says, you know, who furthers the evil happenings in your workplace. And secondly, don't, um, you have to ask yourself, like, do I stay silent or do I ask to be removed or do I, uh, is my going along, even in science, is that going to look like I put a stamp of approval on this? Is it going to encourage other people into sin? Or can I be in the room with sinners, you know what I'm saying? Like, and say, like, I, you know, you know, my, my thoughts are I'm a Christian and this is where I'm not going to participate in this. I can be here because it's a requirement for my employment, but I'm not going to participate in this behavior. And like I said, I, I think as, um, as a Christian friend, as a Christian pastor, these are all really difficult questions that as Christians, I think a lot of us, you know, in our community, we talk about these kind of realities all the time. We did, before the course seminar that's happening here, we did a course seminar about faith in our workplace and how there's a, there's a lot. There's actually like almost too much to mention. And it can lead to difficulties and frustrations here. There are no easy answers and no two situations are the same. So let's pray for God's wisdom in all of this thing. And then um, he's addressing these things and... Um, he, verse 7, he acknowledges that there is a limit to human wisdom. So, the, yeah, there's a time to submit. There's a time to stand against oppression. And we don't know exactly what the future is going to hold. Will I get fired if I stand up and speak out? And if so, will I find another job to support my family? Will the economy get better or will it get worse? And then there is the, the big uncertainty is the uncertainty of death. And this, too, is beyond our control. So the preacher says in verse 8, because he goes on from there and says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Now the word spirit there can mean breath, but it can also mean life. And so we can't, con just like we can't control the wind when it blows back and forth, we can't bottle it up, we can't you know, put a wall to stop the wind, the wind just blows wherever it wants to blow. In the same way, we can't control our, our breathing, right? Once we stop breathing, our life is over and... Scripture is very clear that we can't add to our days, like Jesus said in Sermon Mount, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? God is the one who sets the, the times of our, of our life. And it's not something that we can control on our own. And so we shouldn't take for granted the breath that we have. Another example of things that we can't control is what he says here is um, with regards to war. If a soldier is called into battle, he doesn't get to decide when he comes home, Right? He is, his superiors get to decide for him. And finally, no man can escape, no man can escape the consequence of wickedness at the end of verse 8 there. So the bottom line is this. He says in verse 9, All of this I have observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. When man had power over man to his hurt. So when it comes to authority, even, even like, an authority where there's somebody is a good boss. You ever had a good boss or worked under like somebody's like this or a Christian boss or even a Christian organization? Like, you know, the problem is, is that we're all sinners. And even on accident, we hurt some people. But whenever there's somebody who's 
who doesn't ultimately submit to God as their authority, so somebody who doesn't believe in God, somebody who's not a Christian, the problem with authority is, is it can often lead to hurt, he says. And so he said in verse 9, all this I have observed when applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, and that's the reality of the fallen world that we live in. People in authority will often hurt others. So, and it's frustrating when we, we, things don't go our way and we end up in situations that we can't control. And then and the author turns to talk about situations that don't make sense in verse 10 through 14. Look at how people, look at how wicked people live. And this reminds me of Psalms 73, where the psalmist said that he was envious of the arrogant when he saw that the prosperity of the wicked. And that has the same kind of feel to it. It says in verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. So the author is saying, like, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why people are getting away with this. Why is it the wicked prosper? Like the psalmist says, I, I don't like it. <laughs> like I'm, it makes me angry whenever I see wicked people. Not only are they not getting caught, he says here that they're getting praised in the city. And they're going into to the unholy, I mean, they're going into the holy place and doing unholy things. And he says this is vanity, this is perplexing, this is frustrating. So the preacher here, he observes this, this miscarriage of justice. And he notes what is it happen, what happens here? Is that in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So what happens whenever evil is not punished is that it leads to more evil. People are like, oh, we can get away with this. Let's do more of it. You know, if, you know, if a small crime doesn't get punished, well, let's do a big crime. Let's do more small crimes. And he says that's exactly what happens whenever he's looking at, he's observing, he's applying his heart to, wit, to get wisdom. And he says, I look and I see these wicked people. They're wicked people and they're going into the holy place and they're getting praised by everybody, getting celebrated by everybody else. And all that's leading to is more wickedness. Why? Why? Why is this happening? What's the point of living a godly life if, that, if that's what's going to happen? Why try to be honest and hardworking if the cheaters and thieves are the ones who are going to get ahead in life? And then he takes the question to a deeper level in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said that this also is vanity. In other words, not only are the wicked getting ahead, but the good guys are being treated like they're the wrongdoers. See what he says in verse 14? He's like, okay, so not only they're not getting punished, not only they are getting ahead, they are getting rewarded as if they're doing good things. And then I look over here at the people who are doing good things, being honest and hardworking, and they're the ones who are getting punished. They're the ones who are getting put down. What is up with this? Have you ever asked yourself those same questions? Why am I trying to do everything right at work whenever the cheaters over here that I can't stand, right? They're the ones who are getting promoted. Isn't it interesting those questions that we ask in our life today are the same questions that the Bible addressed thousands of years ago, right? Shows you that, you know, not much has changed, right? We still need God. We still need God's wisdom. Thankfully, there's some perspective right here. Go back to verse 12 because he says the word yet. He says, I see this happening. I know it's not right. Yet, 
Yet, I know that it will be well. I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him or they are, they are reverent before God. So listen to this. Do not envy the wicked. Do not envy the wicked. Remember, God will judge justly and righteously in the end. In the end, the Lord will vindicate the righteous and the Lord will judge the wicked. And so that's what we need to keep in mind. We may look from over here, right? We may say, oh, it's, what a mess. Why am I even working here, right? What a mess this is. Why am I even going to this place or in this situation when, you know, I feel like these people are so wicked that I'm dealing with and I, I'm trying to like not, I'm trying to do my job and be obedient to my superiors and honor the people that are above me. And what's going to, you know, why am I going through all this? Well, first of all, don't come to Jesus Christ because you think you're going to get ahead in life, okay? You're not, <laughs> all right? In fact, it may hurt you in the end. That's what he's saying here. And don't, you have a wrong assumption if you think that leaving a godly life is going to lead to you getting promoted. Because he says here, and we see this in Proverbs also, by the way, if you, I recommend reading the book of Proverbs because you see the same thing, you know, in the book of Psalms, like I mentioned, it says the same thing all throughout scripture. You know, we don't come, if you're coming to Jesus as your savior to make him king of your life because it's going to further you, get you more money, get you more place, get you more praise, then you're coming to Jesus for the wrong thing. In fact, you're not even coming to the Jesus of the Bible. You're coming to a Jesus that you made up in your mind. You created your own God that you're worshiping. So that's the mistake right there. And then secondly, realize that it's not about this life that we're living in because we know that our existence doesn't end when we die. When our breath on, in this body is over, we have an eternal life. And we have the promise of a resurrection someday where God will resurrect our body to a new spiritual body and we will live forever with him in heaven. And we will worship and praise him because we'll realize, man, it was all about his glory all the time. It was all about praising God. So for the time that we have here in life, the life that we have here, the breath that we have, let's keep an eternal perspective in mind an eternal perspective in mind about the life that we're living under the sun. And also to, to wrap up, because he does have another piece of advice here, living life under the sun, living life on days that with things that we can't control and stuff happening that doesn't make sense, right? According to our wisdom, it doesn't make sense. I know that God is in control. He's got it figured out, right? But what do we do? Look in verse 15, because he says, I commend or I recommend this. I commend joy i commend joy for a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that god has given him under the sun man i love it i love i love it i love that he says look i know okay things might not seem like it's working out in your favor you might get frustrated when you're stuck in traffic or whatever it is you might get frustrated for a situation that there is no easy answer i mean because i mean come on traffic eventually they got to move sometime but you might be in a part of your life where you're like i don't know if it's ever going to change you know i might be in pain i might be suffering this is not going to get better right I have a disease that only leads to death in my life, you know? That could be the situation in your life. 
What does he say in verse 15? He says, here's what I do. And even when you don't understand it, you can't control it. He says, I commend joy. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy God. Enjoy the good gifts that God gives to you. Gifts like eating and drinking and being joyful. And you see that, I think it's picked up in the New Testament, where it says, like, this is, um, this is what life is all about, is enjoying the Lord. And again, as a Christian, don't just say, oh, I got to put on a fake smile and, and walk around saying, don't worry, be happy, you know. And every single day, somebody goes, how you doing? I have the joy of the Lord, even if you really don't feel like it, right? I'm not saying be fake. That's not what he's saying. I'm saying be joyful. Enjoy what God gives to you. That's because we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. Like verse 17 says, you can search all you want, but you won't find it all out. You're not going to figure it all out. Even if a wise man says he has all the answers, he really doesn't. Only God does. But when we face trials of many kinds, we can do what the book of James says, count it all joy, for we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance or steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it's my prayer that this kind of wisdom will take root in our lives and bear fruit in our lives so that God's wisdom will cause our face and our life to shine his light.